Please be seated. If you have your Bibles, you might be turning to Matthew chapter 25. Several weeks ago, we began on Sunday nights a study that we've kind of entitled the stories that Jesus told, looking at the different parables that, uh, that Jesus taught with and used uh, to get his point across to his disciples, to the people that were following him and to us as well. We've looked at several of them and and for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at uh, those parables that we find in Matthew chapter 25. And those parables have to do with judgment, have to do with being prepared, having to do with the end of time. In uh, chapter 24, Jesus talks about the fact that the hour uh, that the Son of Man will come, the hour of his return is, is unknown and we need to be prepared. And then in chapter 25, he tells... Two parables, three if you consider the third one a parable, and we're going to. But he tells the parable that we're going to look at tonight about the wise and foolish virgins. Then he tells the parable of the talents. And then he tells the story or the parable of the separation of the sheep and goats. And we're going to look at that as if it were a parable. uh, And look at uh, what all that has to do with, you know... There is nothing, is there anything in the world that's worse than being unprepared for something? Uh, especially when you think you're prepared. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but several years ago when we got the first bus, the big bus, uh, I had to go and take the uh, uh, commercial driver's license test. And so I went to the, the office there in Dangerfield, the driver's license place, and I said, okay, I need to take this test to, to drive the bus. And she gave me these, these booklets and all this and said, well, you need to study these. And you need to study, out of this one, you need to study this chapter, this chapter, and this chapter. And, and then out of this one, you need to study this chapter and this chapter. And I'm like, okay, fine. And so I get down there and I start to take the test. And, I, and there were like four or five different tests or whatever. And I'm taking them and I get to this test and I'm like, I've never seen any of this stuff before. It had to do with, you know, how high off, Mandy, you know what I'm talking about, how high off the ground the lights are supposed to be and, and all this different stuff. And I'm like, I've never seen this stuff. And so I went and I asked the lady, I said, you know, where, where is this stuff coming from? And she said, oh, that was in chapter eight or I don't know what it was. And I said, but you didn't tell me to study chapter eight. And she said, oh, yeah, I do. I said, oh, no, you didn't. Because I got the little book here and you circled the chapters I was supposed to study. And chapter eight is not circled. And so I flunked that part of the test. So I had to go home, study chapter eight, go back and take it. But I, I, I hate being unprepared. This last week or last week when we were at camp was an interesting experience for me and an interesting experience for the campers. Because I was the camp nurse. Go figure. We couldn't find anybody who was more qualified or equally qualified even to be the camp nurse. And, you know, I had my EMT training, but that was 20 years ago. But all you have to have to be a camp nurse is first aid and CPR. So I went and redid my first aid and my CPR. And I figured, you know, being camp nurse is 90% handing out pills, handing out medicine. You would not believe the amount of medicine that a camp full of teenagers has. 
But it was handing out medicine at lunch, handing out medicine at breakfast, handing out medicine at supper. And I was kind of prepared for all of that. And I was prepared for little scrapes. And I was prepared for poison ivy. And I was prepared for, you know, bee stings or something like that. But the first night, the first day that we're there, I'm up in the canteen. And one of the college kids comes running up and he says, you need to get back down here. There's a kid that needs stitches. And I'm like, did you bring a needle and thread? I ain't doing stitches. And so I go down and I don't want to be overly graphic, but he was playing basketball and they had like a nine foot goal. And so he was thinking he was Michael Jordan or LeBron James or whatever. And he goes up to dunk on the basketball goal and gets his hand caught in a little thing hanging out of the basketball goal. And I'll just leave it at that. Except that there was a lot of blood. <laughs> and I was not overly prepared for that. So I get the bleeding stop, wrapped it up, and sent him with his mama to the emergency room. Where he did get six stitches, by the way. And they were the biggest stitches I'd ever seen. It was like rope they used to tie that back together. But I was not overly prepared. And there's some things that you cannot be prepared for that really don't matter. And then there's other things that if you're not prepared, it could be catastrophic. And if we're not prepared when Jesus returns, if we're not prepared for judgment, it could be catastrophic to us all. So Jesus begins in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, the parable of the ten virgins. And it says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in the jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. Later, the others came also and said, sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Now, one thing we have to remember as we look at these three parables here in Matthew chapter 25 is that they all have to do with those who had already been invited And already accepted the invitation. This is not a story. This is not a parable. About those who have come to Jesus. And those who refuse Jesus. That's not what these stories are about. These stories are about those who have already accepted Jesus. Those who basically believe at the time that they are prepared. But they're not. It goes all the way back to Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my father. So this is not a story about the saved and the unsaved per se. It's a story about those who claim to be Christians, those who have accepted the invitation and yet still aren't ready. Now that ought to scare us a little bit. That ought to make us step back and say to ourselves, well, I want to make sure that I'm ready. And so that's what these three stories are about. So we have some lessons here that we want to take from this particular parable. The first one is, don't be fooled by delay. Now, as I was reading, doing background on this parable, I found out that times have changed. You may have noticed that. But times have changed from today and from the Jesus day. In Jesus day, apparently what would happen is, On the day of the wedding, the bridegroom and maybe a small entourage would go to the bride's house and get her, pick her up. And then the the bride's family and the small entourage would then come back to the bridegroom, to the groom's house, to the groom's family's house. And that is where the wedding banquet would be. Now, I got to tell you. Marty, are you with me? As the father of two daughters, I want to know what happened to that tradition. I want to know what happened to the tradition of the groom's family doing the wedding banquet. But somehow, somewhere, that all changed. Don't be laughing. I see you. But uh, anyway, that's what was happening. And so the rest of the wedding party and the invited guests would be there at the groom's house waiting for the wedding party to show up. And so that's what was going on. And it says that the bridegroom was a long time in coming. The mark, one of the marks of the early church, especially early on, is that they had an immediate expectancy of Jesus' return. They expected it to happen, all of them expected it to happen within their lifetime. They expected it to happen any minute Jesus was coming back. You remember that Paul had to write the people in Thessalonica and basically had to tell, because some of them were so sure Jesus was going to come back that they quit their jobs. They were up on the rooftop just waiting for Jesus to come back. And Paul had to come along and say, whoa, whoa, you, you people need to get back to work. He's coming back, but we don't know when. And you need to go about your, you know, your responsibilities and the business that you have. But you remember that as Jesus was ascending into heaven and the apostles were there gazing up into heaven, that an angel of the Lord or an angel came and said, why are you looking up into the sky? Basically, I interpret that as Jesus told you to do something. Get on with it. Be doing it because he is going to come back. I think because of the thousands of years that have passed, we have lost a sense of expectancy. We have lost that sense that Jesus could come back right now. We feel like, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years. It could be another 2,000 years. And you know what? It could be another 2,000 years. I don't know. But it also could be tomorrow. It could be tonight. Paul addressed that same situation, or excuse me, Peter addressed that same situation in 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. 
He says, but not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. You see, some were questioning. Well, you say he's coming back, but he hadn't come back. And this is only a couple decades after Jesus promised to return. He says, do not consider that the Lord is slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting that anyone should perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare until his return or until our death, neither of which we know for sure. We must stay alert. We must stay prepared and we must continue to work and serve. We don't know when Jesus will return. Now I've told, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. I got an idea personally. I got an idea of the circumstances that will bring that about. And that goes back to all the times that God brought judgment in the Old Testament. God brought judgment in the Old Testament when evil threatened to overcome good. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 6 when God looked around and saw all the wickedness in the world and that there were only eight righteous people in the whole world. He said, I'm bringing judgment. When it came to Israel and Judah, he was patient. He was patient. He was patient. As long as there was hope, as long as there was the opportunity that they would repent and they would come back to him, he was going to be patient and give them time. But when essentially all hope was lost, when it was evident that they were not going to repent, when it was obvious that they were not going to turn back to him, God brought judgment on Israel and Judah. My personal belief is that's when God will bring judgment on the world. When he has determined that evil is so rampant in the world that it threatens to overcome the good. God will say, I've been patient enough. It's time to bring judgment. Now, when, when is that? I don't know. But what this tells me is God still has hope for the world. He hasn't brought judgment yet. So there's still hope. And we still have the message. We still have the gospel message to take out to the world and to share with them. What God has given to us. But the message is for us to be prepared. Secondly, some things can't be borrowed. At first, does it not seem like the five wise virgins were a little selfish? Don't you kind of get that from the the story, especially maybe the first time you hear it? What's up with those wise virgins? Why couldn't they spare a little oil? Well, some things cannot be borrowed. And we'll get into that more in just a minute. We will not enter heaven, none of us, on somebody else's coattails. We are only going to enter heaven by our own personal faith 
and our own personal relationship with God. We are not going to enter heaven because of our grandparents' faith. We're not going to enter heaven because of our parents' faith. We're not going to enter heaven because of our spouse's faith. We're not going to enter heaven because of the preacher's faith. We're not going to enter heaven. It is all about our own faith. We have to to own it. Now, we've talked before about where faith begins. And there's a foundation there. And others have laid that foundation. Paul talked to Timothy about the fact that his mother and grandmother laid that foundation. And that was important to Timothy. But at some point in time, that faith had to become his. Not the faith of his mother and his grandmother. And so our faith has to become our own. Now, I've told you before, I thank God for my parents. I thank God for the foundation that they gave me. I thank God for the tradition that they gave me, for the heritage of Christianity that they passed down to me. But if I never take that and make that faith my own, and I have a personal relationship with God that is not based on their relationship, but on my relationship, That can't be borrowed. We will only get to heaven on our own faith. We've talked about this. We're saved by grace through faith. But that biblical faith is always expressed. Back to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11. You know, we just said one day is like a thousand years to the Lord. And and he's being patient, not wanting that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. But he's going to come and the earth is going to pass away and all these things are going to happen. Verse 11 says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives and look forward to the day of God. You see, we know he's coming. We know judgment is coming. We know that all of this earth is going to pass away. and We're going to stand in judgment to God. We have to live a certain way. We have to live holy and righteous lives. We're not going to be able to, you know, maybe say, well, you know, my mama was a real good person and she was a really good Christian. So I think, you know, she's banked up enough that it's going to cover me. It doesn't work that way. It is our relationship and we cannot borrow from others. There is the day of judgment. We'll stand before God. Heritage is important. Christian homes are important. The church is important. But ultimately it's about me and my faith. Me and my service. Me and my commitment to God. The third point is that selfishness is sometimes okay. There is a part of us that may see the action of the five wise virgins as selfish. Couldn't they have spared a little oil? But the implication here is that then they would not have what they needed. That if they'd have given some of their oil to the, to the foolish virgins, then they wouldn't have had enough to last and then they would have been unprepared. I used to say to the kids, and I guess I still say to the kids now, but... You must be selfish about your soul. You can be selfish about your soul. In fact, you ought to be selfish about your soul. When it comes to to protecting your soul, 
It's okay to be selfish about that. Selfish means that we protect our soul and our salvation. It means we protect the company that we keep. It means that we think seriously about the person that we're going to marry. The activities that we are involved in. What we watch and what we listen to. That we're not ignorant about the influence that others have on us. Proverbs says, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. And by heart there, I think he's, you could put in soul there as well. Guard your whole soul. Guard your heart. Because without it, you'll be lost. You know, years ago, I took lifeguard training. I was also the lifeguard at camp. Not this year, several years ago. But uh, one of the things they taught us in lifeguard school, and they teach the same thing in EMT or paramedic school, is the first thing you have to do is you have to protect yourself. And they would tell us that when you're going out, somebody's drowning out there, and you're going out, they said, you got to realize that the only thing on that person's mind is getting a breath of air. And if they have to stand on your head to do it, they will stand on your head to do it. If they have to drown you to get a breath of air, they will drown you to get a breath of air. And so they teach you all these techniques about you never approach a victim from the front. You always come back around behind so that you can, you know, try to get a hold of them. They can't get back and try to try to drown you. And the point is obvious, right? If you drown, you can't help nobody. I don't remember who it was. It was a football player, a professional football player, played for the Kansas City Chiefs. I can't remember his name right now. It's one of those things that I should have thought of when I was doing my notes, but it didn't come to me while I was doing my notes. It just now came to me. But anyway, this football player was out at the lake, and one of his cousins or nephews or something was drowning out in the lake. So he goes out there to save him. One small problem. He couldn't swim. And he drowned. He drowned. Trying to save the little boy or little girl, whoever it was that was out there. Our soul is so important that we need to be selfish about it. We need to put a hedge around our soul. We need to protect ourselves and protect our soul. That's how important it is to us. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? What does it profit a man if he has all the friends in the world and they lead him astray? And he's not prepared to meet Jesus. Our soul, our relationship with God is the most important things in our life and thing in our life. And not only can we, but we must be selfish and guarded at all cost. And that brings us to the fourth point. The door will be shut. At some point, God is going to bring judgment. At some point, the door will be shut. My dad taught me a harsh lesson about not respecting deadlines. I think I was in the sixth grade. And it had gone, you know, it was time to sign up for Little League. 
And I was on the fence. Man, do I want to play Little League? Do I don't want to play Little League? Do I want to play Little League? Do I don't want to play Little League? I wanted to play Little League because everybody else was playing Little League. I didn't want to play Little League because I stunk. And I would sit on the bench most of the time. Uh, but I finally, you know, and, and the deadline passed for signing up. And I came in and I told my dad, I said, you know what? I've made a decision. I'm going to play Little League. And you know what he said? No, you're not. No, you're not. Could he probably have called somebody and got me in? You know, yeah, probably so. But he wanted to teach me a lesson. That there comes a time when it is too late. You remember, I think one of the saddest verses in the Bible, although it's, it's, it's really a blessing verse, it's one of those that's a blessing and a curse. You remember Noah spends 120 years building the ark or whatever it is, and, and he's preaching to the people while he's building the ark. And not, can you imagine, you know, being a preacher can be, not with y'all. I've heard of preachers. I've heard of preachers who get frustrated. Can you imagine preaching 120 years and not ever having a single response? Not a single response in 120 years. And God says, that's enough. Get on the ark. And it says that Noah and his family got on the ark and God shut them in. Now, when you look at it like that, God shutting the door was a blessing. Because not very long from then, the rain started coming down and the water started coming up. And if the door had been open, Noah, his whole family, and all them animals that got in there would have drowned. But God shut them in. But the other reverse of that is, He shut them in, but he shut everybody else out. I've often wondered if, as the rain started to fall, and I think the water started bubbling up from under the earth as well, and all this rain, I wonder if there were knocks on the door. Yo, Noah, Noah, just kidding, let me in, let me in. But it was too late. The five virgins come and knock on the door. But it's too late. It's too late. There will come a time when it's too late. This is just one of those things that cropped into my head. You probably don't care about it, but it was just a little thing for me. What time was it when the bridegroom was coming back? Midnight, right? At midnight, the cry comes out. The bridegroom's coming back. And the ten foolish virgins say, oh, give us some oil. And the ten wise virgins say, what? Go to the store and get some. I didn't know they had a 24-hour Walmart back then. I don't know where those foolish virgins went to get their oil, but I would not have wanted to be the oil man waking me up at midnight to get oil. That was free. Didn't cost anything. But, you know, I thought that was just kind of interesting. But there will come a time, and the door was shut. One of the first verses, I don't know why, 
some Bible class somewhere, one of the first verses I ever memorized is Hebrews 9.27. For it is appointed unto man, this is King James, because that's where I learned it. For it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You know, some appointments you can just break. Now, some appointments aren't that, aren't that important. Important. Now, if your doctor's like my doctor, you better not break an appointment because it may be six months before you can get back into scene. But, you know, some appointments, you know, dentist appointments. I like breaking those. You know, put that off as long as possible. My eye doctor appointment, I wear contacts. And your contact prescription is only good for a year. And so every year you're supposed to go to the eye doctor and get a new prescription in order to get the contact. My, my eyes have not changed in 20 years. They're, they're exactly the same they were 20 years ago. I don't need to go to the eye doctor. But if I miss that appointment and I call in and say, I want some contacts, they'll say, nope, got to come in and see the doctor. So that's why you can always do. So that's why when it's a month before I'm supposed to have my appointment. I get a six-month supply of contacts. Just push that appointment back a little bit. But it's appointed unto man once to die, and we're not going to change that appointment. That is God's appointment for mankind. I've had doors slammed in my face before. I've gone to places, and it was closed when I thought it would be open. Not a good feeling. But we certainly do not want God to close the door on us. It's a, it's a harsh lesson. These three parables. The parable of the virgins. The parable of the talents. And the parable of the sheep and goats. It's a harsh lesson. But these are the last parables Jesus told. So don't you think they're important? The next thing we go to in Matthew. Is the last supper. The trial the crucifixion and all of that, the last thing he tells the people is be prepared. And we want to be prepared. We'll not get in on borrowed faith. We'll not get in on borrowed righteousness. It's all about whether or not we are prepared. If you're here this evening, you're not prepared, or there's some way that we can help or encourage you, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. 
Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.